Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Sherry, your host for today. And I have a good friend uh, that's joining the Minnesota Bound podcast today. Tina Dawkin is uh, not only a middle school math teacher, she's an incredible golfer, but she's also a mom, a dog mom of three Labradors. She's a firearm safety instructor, a pro staffer with Frankie Shotguns. She's also the better half to Mr. Tom Dawkin, the famed dog trainer. And uh, Tina has done a lot, quite a bit of dog training on her own. She actually has a YouTube series called Tina Dawkin Unleash. So we're going to have a lot of things to chat about today. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Laura, for inviting me and having me on. I appreciate it. And I don't know that Tom is the, or I'm the better half, but I would say Tom is probably the better half. <laughs> <laughs> well, we work well together. You We're good too. Team. I was going to say both of you together are on a pretty amazing couple. So, um, and full disclosure, Tina and Tom have been friends of our family for a lot, a lot of years. Tom, of course, and my dad, I don't know how, how long they've been friends over 40 years at this point. Yes. Yes. And uh, so I kind of feel like Tina, like you're a sister to me. And of course, you're very close to my sister, Simone. Um, Yes. So I was telling Simone have known my husband more than I have. So, yes, (laughs) I know. Well, your husband has trained all of our dogs, my dad's dogs, parents, dogs um, from when we were so young. So, yes, it's like we're family at this point. And I was telling Brandon, our podcast producer, before we got this started, that uh, we know each other so well, we may just go completely off track and start talking about like nail polish <laughs> colors and things like that. <laughs> yes, you never know I have high recommendations. I've got many camo <laughs> nail polish recommendations for you. <laughs> well, I wanted to have you on the podcast um, for many reasons. We talked about having you on for a long time, but you, we have Pheasant Fest, of course, is coming up here in um, the Twin Cities in February and um, you will be there, but you have also started this YouTube channel um, called Tina Dawkin Unleashed about your new puppy, Gabby. But before we get there, you have a really interesting story on how you got started in the outdoors and it was a little bit later in life. And now you are giving back and teaching other women to get in the outdoors. So let's start with like, how did you get into the outdoors? And I believe it started with having like a frozen duck in your freezer and a dog (laughs) that needed retrieving skills. Is that how this happened? Well, it kind of went backwards and you're supposed to get into hunting and then buy a dog. But I bought a dog chocolate lab named Samantha and I grew up with labs. So that was the dog I wanted to 
and um, her parents hunted. So I kind of felt guilty that she didn't hunt. And so I thought, okay, you know, I got to get her some fun opportunities. You know, what can I do as far as getting opportunities to hunt like her parents did? So I thought, well, I'll call my brother-in-law up and say, hey, do you have a duck for me? So I kept this duck in my freezer and I'd pull it out once a week and hide it in the grass right across from my townhouse. And I thought, well, how much fun is this for her? She gets to go and seek and find it, retrieve it. And and then I I said to myself, and I probably had that duck in my freezer for probably five, six years. No way you did. How was the condition of this duck? (laughs) When I moved out, moved to my husband's house, they were like, there's a duck in your freezer. I'm like, yeah, it's been a really good duck. <laughs> as long as you keep them frozen, they won't smell. Oh so it, it was uh, it was a fun thing for her to do. But as as a true mom, I said, you know, she needs more opportunities. So I'd search the internet and I found a um, a class, a two week class for introducing your your uh, dog to gun or to birds and the gun, and it was a hands on class. So I thought it'd be fun to spend some time with a bunch of people and their dogs and learning how to hunt. and And I'm sure Samantha would have a really good time too as well. And she did. Um, but then at the end of the two weeks, I'm like, okay, well that's it. No, I need to do more. So I came across on the internet game fair in Anoka, Minnesota. And game fair was six days, two weeks and weekends in a row. And of course, Laura, you you're the announcer out at game fair, so you're well aware of game fair, and they've been going on for forty years. But um, I was like a a mom bringing her child to the state fair, and I brought her every single day, all six days. They Did were you like, really? Oh yes, every single day, and because it, she loved going and participating in all the dog events. There's probably about what a dozen to probably 20 now, but it just exposed her to retrieving pheasants, retrieving ducks. And her favorite was jumping off the dock. Oh, and, yeah. and and I can tell you it was her favorite because one time I was there at the registration booth at the information booth or no, the registration booth in the begin in the beginning part of game fair and signing up my little number for her. And all of a sudden she took off. So I said, either I dropped the leash or this entire tent is going to come down on me. So I dropped the leash. There she went. And I knew exactly where she was going. So I just walked halfway to the dock jumping contest. She turned around and was barking at me like, Mom, it's this way. Follow me. I know exactly where it is. And that's exactly where she was headed. So, so after funny. a couple of years at uh, Game Fair, um, and I went to all of the seminars because I was bound and determined to learn how to train my dog, whether it be obedience or hunting. And I actually would always wait till after the, the seminar was done and ask the trainer questions and just pick their brain a little bit more. And there was this one guy, uh, John Sinclair at the time, he was working with Tritronics, and I asked him a bunch of questions um, at the end uh, of his seminar. And then later on in the day, um, he, uh, well, later in the day, it was really hot. I was sitting there with my dog in a hay bale, right lakeside, just watching the competitions and, and two hay bales down was my husband. Well, this, this trainer had walked up and was talking to Tom and he noticed me and he remembered me from when I had asked him all these questions. And he started kiddingly harassing me about my chocolate lab. And I gave it right back to him before you know it, we're conversing 
And Tom and I are exchanging, and all his friends surrounded me, and Tom and I are exchanging business cards. So I was going to give him golf lessons, and he was going to train my dog how to hunt. So it was like a business relationship where I said, okay, this guy has potential, you know? And well, I think Tom probably was, <laughs> knew what he was doing, handing over that business card. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun, the relationship at the beginning, because, you know, to this day, he says that his golf game never got any better, <laughs> but my dog was somehow the best trained dog in the world for hunting, you know? So we all know how that happens. Like I did all of the drills he gave me to do, but he did none of them. So that's why his golf game never got any better. And, and I say to this day, Samantha really was the one that picked out Tom because Tom was coming back from the booth at game fair. And my dog was at the end of her leash jumping up and down. And I said, what are you doing? I remember thinking to myself, you don't even like men. Why are you jumping up and down? So she pretty much had him picked out before I did. I mean, dogs know Aww. they have the sixth sense. So they do know. So actually, that's that's how it all started. And, and he's the one that gave me my first shotgun experience where he put a clay pigeon on a on a stick and and had me shoot it. And I thought, well, I'm pretty good. That bullet just keeps hitting that clay pigeon. And then he broke my confidence and said, well, it's not really a bullet. It's a bunch of BBs spread out. So the chances <laughs> of you hitting that clay pigeon are about 100%. So um, that's that was my first shotgun experience. But then he, he did a smart thing and hired somebody to actually give me a formal gun introduction. And the rest is history. I mean, so it you just took off. Any outdoor experience before going to Game Fair? And how old were you when you first had Samantha? Oh, like you're going boy, to I think I was her. about, I think when I got Samantha, because she was about six when Tom get a hold, got a hold of her. So I was in my probably mid to late 20s when I got Samantha. So, I mean, I didn't start till about mid 30s. It was about 35 when I met, I believe when I met my husband, because I got married when I was 37. It's amazing how I'm still 39. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's working. <laughs> it's working. 39 is working for you. There's no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was mid 30s when I, I mean, I love the outdoors. We used to go to northern Wisconsin and Boulder Junction um, area and Star Lake area. And, you know, we we're always outside. We always water skiing or out boating or fishing or what have you. But, I never shot a gun in my life. So, and I, I just, I never even thought I could shoot a bird, you know? So you go through all of these uh, challenges in the very beginning when you start. And, uh, you know, Tom was really good about setting up that first pheasant hunt for me, uh, but first making sure I could shoot the gun and give me that formal lesson uh, by Chuck Ross, actually. And to this day, I use all of his techniques that he taught me in the lodge. And, and one thing I loved about his training with me is that he made it simple. And that's always my goal when I'm working with students or women or even men. I, I want to make it so it's not overwhelming. And he taught me all of these things for a good couple hours in the lodge first before we even step foot out in uh, um, the, um, what am I trying to say, out in the field where we were actually shooting. What were some of those 
tips that he gave you that were so valuable? Okay. The tips are, they're just awesome. And this is exactly how I coach too. I believe in breaking things down. Like with golf, you know how you think about 20 things while you're swinging the golf club? Yeah. So instead of 20, I'm going to give you five while you're hitting the ball. But the other 15, I'm going to build muscle memory for you. Let's go back to the gun in the lodge. So when he started with me, he first started, okay, eye dominance. Let's talk about what your eye dominance is. And a lot of people do the triangle, but personally, I like to. Now, Laura, I'm going to have you participate with me. So I want you to find an object in your room. And I want, and I, and I know that your answer, cause we've, we've had these conversations, but I want you to point at that object with your right index finger. Okay. Now, if I close my right eye, my finger moves to the right of that object. If I close my left eye, my finger stays right on the object and I am right eye dominant. So that was the first thing that we established. And then what he had me do, he said, um, Tina, when you look at something and you point at it, do you look at the end of your index finger and then bring the end of your index finger up to the object you want to point? And I said, no, I just look at the object first and point at it. And he said, absolutely. And that's what you're going to do with shooting. You're going to find that clay pigeon with your eyes And then you're going to point at it. So to this day, I have my left index finger down the left side of the barrel because that's that the gun is just an extension of your left index finger. So in the lodge, he just had me turning around, look and point, look and point, look and point, look and point. And then we talked about stance and and we're most we're he tried to really tell me that it's so important from your waist up. And this is kind of golf, too. You from your waist up, you want to bend your spine into somewhat of a 45 degree angle. And you want to stay with your foot at a 12, 12 o'clock position and your other, your right foot at about a five o'clock or four o'clock, you know, depending on what you're comfortable with. But it's important to keep the majority of your weight on your left side and have your from your spine up in that 45 degree angle. So he may be get in that position and he may be turn and turn and turn and turn. So I got used to swinging my whole body around and then he incorporated, okay, let's just turn your body, but we're going to point now too. So turn, look and point, turn, look and point, turn, look and point. So what he did is he establishing this muscle memory that I can practice before I even step foot on a shooting range. And then he put a gun in my hand and he talked about where to mount it. And he was really big on, you're just going to bring it straight to your cheek. And I want you to make an indent in your cheek. So he had me in that stance practicing, bring it straight up. Okay. Bring it down to your waist, bring it straight up. So I did that 10, 20, 30, 40 times. So again, he's establishing muscle memory before I get out on the range. And the number one, I believe the number one stressor for women when they start. My, to sh- my non-barking <laughs> dog is barking. <laughs> Hi, the non-barking, Yeah, the non-barking breed is now barking in the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Well, you, you got to have interjections. I mean, he must have totally. been with me. That's probably why That's he's barking. Exactly. He's like, right on, Tino, right on. <laughs> he's just cheering you on. 
<laughs> so when he talked about, you know, bringing that gun up to my cheek, he said, I, I believe the number one fear that women have when they start to shoot a gun is the re recoil, the kick on their face. And that, and that was my number one concern. And so he said to me, he gave me a fist analogy. He said, Tina, somebody's going to hit you with their fist. They're going to really hurt you. They're going to wind up from a distance. So they're going to start their fist from a distance and wind up into your cheek. And that's going to hurt. However, if you take that fist and you put it really tight against your cheek, they can't hurt you because they don't have any wind up, so to speak. So when we, after doing all these drills inside the lodge, um, we got outside in the range and he pre-mounted to my cheek, made sure it was nice and tight. He had me shoot two boxes of shells. He didn't say a word. And Tom said to him, what, what are you doing? You haven't said anything. You haven't even helped her yet. And he said to Tom and me, she needed to get over the fact that this was not going to hurt. And he was 100% correct. And once I got over that, that I knew it was not going to hurt me, then by the fourth box, then he could start working with me in the third box. And by the fourth box, um, he, I, I hit 19 out of 25. And I was so zoned in on the target and I wasn't focused on the gun on my cheek anymore. And the funny thing about it was knowing if you know Chuck Ross, he, he, he said to me, I am so good meaning he was so good at his teaching instructing. <laughs> and yes, Chuck, you were. So it well, made yeah, it. I mean, 19 out of 25 is really, really good for um, basically a first-time shooter. So I think oh. you're the one that's probably pretty natural. Well, a great shot. It was, you know what? It, you, but when you're standing behind a clay pigeon thrower and they're straightaways, Laura, so oh, you're true. doing this, it's repetition and because I established all of my basics and my muscle memory ahead of time, and I had it pre-mounted, so in a way, all it involved was me finding the target with my eyes, pointing at it with my finger, and pulling the trigger. So he made it so simple and, and something that I thought was going to be so hard and that's why I want all women to know and start it with a 20 gauge. Start that Tom's always said, Tina, all you need is a 20 gauge. And he was right. And all the people that are so experienced, my go-to people all the time that have been in hunting for 40, 50 years are like, yep, all you need is a 20 gauge, Tina. So, but that's all, that's all I shoot. And it, it's, it's all a matter of practice and repetition. And then, and then as you, as you get your confidence up, with straightaways, then you start moving one step to the right and staying there till you're confident. Then moving two steps to the right, staying there till you confidently hit clay pigeons. I mean, it's just it's just like golf. You know, there's a million different chip shots. So you you go to one chip shot and you practice it until you really have it down. Then you move to another area. So it's the same thing. It's all about repetition and practice and getting reps in so you feel confident and and you know and, and coveted to move on to another harder shot. So, yeah. That is such great advice to, you know, the repetition shooting of clay pigeons to, especially for beginner shooters. And I actually do that um, I myself. And I found this summer, I really enjoy going by myself now. Yes. And just staying at one station and repeatedly shooting that clay pigeon over and over and over again. And um, I think what makes 
things challenging and probably where I made some errors when I first started because I got started, you know, I was always tagging along with my dad, of course, many times when I was younger, yeah. but I really didn't get started pheasant hunting myself till I was much older. So, you know, I was fairly comfortable through gun safety and going to shoot some clay pigeons here and there, but I probably could have used more practice just shooting at clay pigeons before I hit the field because I, as you know, I've, you've been with me during these times, I've struggled immensely shooting pheasants. And I go back to shooting clay pigeons and I have a, a lot more success. So um, I do feel like that's really great advice just to get really comfortable with your gun and also like the safety aspects of, um, you know, getting your safety on and off uh, before and after you shoot the clay pigeon. Uh, so that becomes very automatic. Um, I think it just increases your confidence when you're in the field because what yes. has made me not nervous. I'm just more, obviously you're hyper aware that there are other people with you. There are dogs yeah. out in front of you. Like where yes. are you shooting? And you have to know exactly what you're shooting and where you're shooting every time you pull that trigger, of course. So um, that can make your anxiety go up a little bit and make you a little bit more nervous. So the more comfortable you well, are. Well, you and I, Laura, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You oh, no, and no. I got into this game fast and furious. So I don't know about your experience, but when I first was taken out into a hunting field, you are now in a hunting situation with a loaded gun, your dog, and another person that you have to worry about. And I'll never forget the first time I went pheasant hunting and I'm, I'm intense, I'm focused, uh, a little stressed, you know, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my husband yells, rooster. And I look at him, I go, don't ever do that again. You scared the crap <laughs> out of me. And it's like, I didn't know that was protocol. So, so that being said, if I had it to do all over again, I would have gone out pheasant hunting without a gun and walked and watched the dogs work, watched the people work, watched the pheasants get up figure out which one's a rooster, which one's a hen. And I'd go out a couple times, just kind of get the, 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 what's going on, you know, learn. And then the second time, next few times, I'd probably go out with a gun that's not loaded and then practice mounting, you know, when birds are getting up just to give me, and then still continuing to watch the dog work and all that fun stuff. And to this day, I still do that. You know, when, when I go out with Tom, I, I still practice mounting because you don't know where the bird's going to get up when so true. and and yeah and the, and the biggest my biggest problem is I always want to turn my upper body and shoot versus turning my entire body so I'm I'm starting to practice more turning completely around if the bird's behind me or turning my body before I turn my upper body but it's it's, it's so if I had to do it over again I'd slow myself down a little bit and take it all in in baby steps rather than trying to do it all at once because it can be overwhelming and in intimidating, especially when you're dealing with a loaded gun and dogs and human beings. So that would be my advice to, to women out there when they, or even men, when they first get started, that's what I would do all over again. Cause you and I, you know, we tagged along and we just had to keep up, you know? Yes. <laughs> I know. That's so true. And that's really good advice too. Like, don't feel like you have to really rush into anything. And I, I still, to this day, if I, a bird kind of startles me and gets up into the air and, um, I'm not even fully ready for that. I, I won't even pull the trigger and, you know, I get razzed for that here and there. Like, 
that was your yeah. shot. It was so easy. I'm like, well, I just, it, I, I wasn't personally ready. So I always feel like it's better to just not take the shot than to try to do something that's um, not really well that's thought right. out. So, um, but that is really good advice just to tag along and also with an unloaded gun to practice mounting um, the gun to your face. And um, cause that too, when you have, when these birds get up so fast, like that has oh, to become yeah. so instinctual. And then I'm discovering the later in the season you go out and it's cold. Well, now I have all <laughs> these layers on and I, I'm like, how am I, it's hard to get the gun into the right position. So, so many different factors come into play, but um, that is really good advice for sure. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, that's the best part about this sport of hunting. And I've been involved in a lot of sports, but every time you go out, it, it each hunt is so unique on what you're hunting, what gets up, when it gets up, how the dog retrieves, if the dog retrieves, you know, the workout involved, if your dog's trailing something, see, I love to run and gun like that, that sounds bad, but I love to sprint after my dog if she's trailing something. My husband doesn't want to. He just, you know, he'll hold the dog back. I love sprinting after my dog, getting the workout, snowshoeing. I mean, every part of the hunt is always different every time you go out. And that's that's why I love this sport so much. I never thought I'd be this passionate, this obsessed with going out hunting with my dog. But the stories I could tell you um, they're just, they're so, they're so, I mean, the best story was when I had two dogs hunting. Now, normally my husband would not hunt more than one dog, but I always have that guilt factor, that mom guilt factor when sure. they both look at you, like, who do I pick? Exactly. So <laughs> one day I went hunting with Sassy and Sage and it was snowy ground and, and Sage went low and there was nothing but snow down there. And she was my older dog and Sassy went high. She was my younger dog. And I'm like, okay, who do I believe? So I went high with my young dog. And all of a sudden, I hear this rooster get up where Sage went. And then all of a sudden, my phone is ringing. And it's my husband because he's got a certain ringtone who let the dogs out, you know. And he's <laughs> calling me. And I go, why are you calling me? He says, you didn't believe her, did you? And I'm like, you were scoping me. So he has little scope. <laughs> he had the binoculars he following out. me. Yes. Yes. Well, from the house. He was watching awesome. me from the house. We have a scope in the house and he was watching me hunt. And I'm That's like, awesome. you were watching that. And so again, <laughs> you learn too. Like every time you go on a hunt, you're always learning something. Like, I should have believed the older dog. What was I thinking? But yeah, it's so it's true. just so fun and the stories and you're always recapping all those those fun things that happen. That's why I say hunting is so good because it's just just different story every time and different hunt every time. And and you're and I'm sure people are bored of my stories when I tell them about them. It's kind of like when my golf my dad used to talk about every golf shot he had in the golf course. I was so bored out of my mind. But it is such a fun sport. I just love it. It is a really fun sport. And I, you know, and I found too that when I started hunting a few times behind pointers that it oh, slowed everything yeah. down for me. And I was yes. like, this is actually kind of nice. Yes. Um, because when you have the labs and the retrievers and the flushers, they are flying through the field and sometimes they're far out and you have no idea. Half the time, you know, I've lost the dog in the field. I, I know I can kind of see them and they might be high or in some yep. higher um, cover, but, um, 
with pointers, you know, like you can really stock up on the bird and get yourself prepared. And, um, so that's been another, you know, a different way of, of hunting that I've also enjoyed. And I think that's also beneficial for some beginners because it does slow, slow the process it slows down everything down. I agree. I experienced my first English pointing hunting of an over an English pointer when I was in Argentina, we, we did three trips to Argentina. Wow. That I know what you're saying. It just gave me an opportunity to slow down. And and I said, you mean I can just take my time here? I yeah. don't know. It's good and bad. Like <laughs> I do better sometimes reacting. Sure. Like, I'll have this shot and I'm like, how did you pull that out? You know, versus that was a chip shot and you missed. So sometimes I want to be surprised, but hunter hunting over pointers. And then when I had an opportunity to quail hunt um, in uh, Arizona, I mean, it's just amazing how they can move you around the dog. Yes. And the dog's on point and the bird's not moving. You're like, how does not that wild. happen? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So I don't understand how the birds just don't leave before the dog gets there. Like, what what are you thinking? But hey, it gave me an opportunity to shoot. So yeah, it's just, and that you know what? And I started because of my dog and it has led me into so many more things in the outdoor world other than just hunting pheasants, hunting ducks. Um, I told my husband when I got married, all I have is 10 recipes to my name. So you're going to have to deal with that. But now <laughs> I am cooking in the kitchen. I can actually say I brine all my meat. John from Pheasants Forever taught me that. He was a chef. And I, I, I brine all my meat now. I'm like, what? And Tom's it's like, a game who changer, are isn't it? you? <laughs> yes. I yeah, I made it. duck wontons this fall. I created my own little recipe and everybody, you know, kept having me make it. Of course, they probably didn't want to cook, but it was good. I got to admit, I'm not, duck poppers kind of hurt my stomach a little bit. So I created a new recipe with crab meat and bacon. Well, see, wow. love bacon, right? Yeah. And cream cheese, who doesn't love cream cheese? And added the duck and the onion and oh my gosh in a wonton it was so good anyway, I know. so yeah we've repeated the pheasant egg roll recipe that i cooked uh with chef jim kinberg and i have mm -hmm. some friends of mine i was just over at their house and they it's one of their go-to recipes now and they we we're gonna watch um we watched the vikings game uh which of course was not good but um <laughs> They, they recreated the recipe and it's still, it's such a, like an easy go-to. It's so good. And that also is, um, a little bit of brining and also marinating in some sesame oil. But, um, you're right. Once you learn how to handle wild game appropriately and, um, cook it to maintain yes. its moisture, it, it really is, um, a fun, of course, that it's brining just life maintains and, the moisture unbelievably. I mean, you can even do it with chicken. It's just amazing. It is. We once brined pheasant breasts in some pickle juice and that Ooh, was yum. good. Yum. Though you couldn't, there was a fine line in leaving it in there a little too long because then it definitely picked up the pickle dill flavor okay. too much. But if it, okay. if you just have it in there for like 30 minutes to maybe an hour, just don't do it overnight. Um, it was really good. Then that was like I'll a super easy one. have to get that recipe one. from you. The, yeah. The one that you just mentioned. Everyone knows how much my family loves Connecticut water. We have it in our home, and this summer we added it at the cabin. <laughs> and oh boy, what a difference. Really, for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that cabin water, that Minnesota stinky, foul well water. Well, 
After a painless four-hour installation, we have Kinetico's soft water and also Kinetico's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make our coffee in the morning before fishing. We have great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. The laundry no longer smells funny, and Kinetico water also cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you and join the Kinetico family. Also, we'd like to give a shout out to our good friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Also, we'd like to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the History Forum is back at the Minnesota History Center. Since 2004, the History Forum has explored American history with some of the nation's very best scholars. That tradition now continues in 2023 with five events highlighting the diversity and excellence of today's historical scholarship. In-person and virtual tickets are available at mnhs.org slash history forum. So when you, I have a quick question. When you first met Tom and you're obviously a dog lover and so is he, um, when you were merging your lives under one roof, was there (laughs) certain rules of like dogs on the bed or dogs not on the bed that were different for you versus him? Was that like, Um, uh, how did that start out? You know, I, I listen to everything Tom says about dog training. I'm a, I'm a yes, sir on that. Yeah. He's a yes, ma'am on certain rules in the house. So like my dogs always slept with me in the bed. So now the rule is the dogs can be in the bed as long as they're on your side of the bed. Nice. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And in in fact, when we, when I created that uh, YouTube series, Tina Dark and Unleashed, um, it was following his retriever training book. So he's like, well, Tina, you know, we got to, we got to tell people exactly what's in the book. And I said, well, yeah, but my puppy spent four weeks in the bed with us um, before it was in the crate at night. So <laughs> there's a couple and he, he laughed, you know, and, and I bring him in some of the videos and and he th- he throws me under the bus like he won't tell me what he's going to say. And then he'll say, yeah, uh, we finally weaned Tina off the puppy. We now have the puppy in the crate versus in our bed. But I can't tell you how cute it was one night to wake up and I couldn't find my puppy. You know, she's just a little nine, 10 week old puppy. And I turned on my phone light and there she was all cuddled up next to Tom's neck. And I thought it was so cute. And he just looked at me and said, could you please move your puppy? (laughs) I'm like, come on, enjoy it. Because she's not going to be that small for very long. 
Oh, it's so true. Yeah, yeah. So with your podcast, with um, why did you want to start a podcast? I know um, well, obviously you're so passionate about your dogs and training your dogs yourself, but um, there you mean was... the series, right? Not the podcast yes. the series. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, your YouTube series, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, we get a lot of questions from friends and family, and I was constantly repeating myself and sending the same videos to them on how to do this and how to do that. And as a seventh grade or as an educator, I always believed, and my seventh grade students can attest to this, they always had a video for every lesson they learned. So that they, if they went home, which was me, I'd always go home after class and forget everything the teacher told me. So I wanted them to have that video so they could see it in action, they could see it happening. And so uh, with my husband's book, great, a lot of great pictures, but I was a, I need to see it in action person. So I tried to encourage Sean to do it for a while, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it because I don't have to, I mean, my videos are definitely not award-winning, but they're raw, they're real, they're funny. Um, I say they're funny because Gabby's first introduction to water, um, both Tom and I fell in the water. And then he's oh like, well, God. we can't put that on YouTube. And I said, oh, yeah, we're going to because I'm <laughs> sure it's happened to other people. So it, it was kind of, you know, cute. Tom's Tom's commentary is like, well, it's not a requirement that the owner fall in the water along with the dog. But she didn't fall and she was swimming and I just went off a ledge and fell forward and fell in the water. But, you know, stuff like that just happened. So that was why I want to help educate people that look. This is not that difficult. You can do this with your eight-week-old puppy. Um, they want to learn, and it is so easy to teach them. Here it is. And, and I, we want people to work with their puppies and work with their dogs. And if we can make it easy for them to do that, why not? I mean, that is just going to lead to that dog is going to be so more prepared for when it finally gets to its first formal training, which should happen at five months of age for the bird and gun introduction. So that by the time that dog gets to that five month training, when they're five months of age, they're like, okay, what's next? What's next? Because I've been learning all this cool stuff as a puppy. Now what's next? So that's all it was is I want to help people, you know, learn and want to work with their puppy. That's such a great idea because you know, I'm guessing you have a lot of clients that kind of show up with their five-month-old puppy and ha probably haven't done much <laughs> with it other than teach it how to sit with a treat. And they're like, here you go. And that's exactly what they say, Laura. Here I you bet. go. <laughs> I let it be a puppy. Now it's your turn. You know, so, and they're behind. They're yeah. behind the game. Yeah. I just did a webinar for Bo, Minnesota on starting your hunting dog. And it was all puppy. It was like 45 minutes of talking. How do you prepare your puppy? And trainers will love people who do all this stuff to get them introduced to these beginning stages of a, of a, of a hunting dog. So, um, and it's so easy to do and it is so much fun. These puppies are sponges and they want to work for food. So they will work for food. So yeah, it's been some a of the really fun project you cover on your uh, YouTube channel? Is it kind of like introduction to crate training? Is it introduction to following leash training? What are some of the topics that you go over? So in the very beginning stages, um, we're starting off with them just getting to know their name. So oh. we use the treats we use 
um, are just their food. So we always do training sessions right before they eat. So they were as a puppy eating three times a day. So extending your hand out, putting that treat right by their nose and backing up and say, Gabby, 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 and reeling that treat into your, and when they get to you, then you give them the treat. And then, then it becomes here, 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 but you start out by putting that close to their nose and giving them the command and backing up. So they're following the treat to you and giving, and but people, some people use come, we use here, it just sounds stronger. A lot of yep. people say, come here, come here. So I, you know, you incorporate them both. Um, you can teach. And then as a, you know, you got the here command. Then as they come closer, you incorporate the sit by pushing their butt down. The minute they sit, you give them the treat. So it's kind of a timing thing. You can introduce place. Place is one of the number one commands I think that every family should have. So um, true. Be- Oh, so when when you have visitors coming into your house, knocking on the door, the UPS man, what have you, you can put your dog on a place and they're required to stay there. So you work early on. I mean, when they get a little older, you start reinforcing them staying in their place. But you don't need a linebacker coming up and tackling your, your guests that are coming in. So um, everywhere we go that we bring their dog bed and that's their place. So we, we can teach that. And even as a little puppy, you know, you're teaching them to get on the platform by just leading them up place. And as they get all four paws on top of the platform, you give them the treat. And then you can bring your left hand to the other platform. So right now you're, you're teaching hand signals at an early age, or you're teaching them to go in their crate kennel, you know, and you put treats in there and we feed them in their crate because we want that to be a really good place to be. They need crate time, so go run an air and let them stay in the crate. Um, I, I can't tell you. They're just, oh, healing, even healing. They will follow the treat around. So if you're just moving your your arm around and then bringing them into your side, and they they learn the heel command. I mean, it, it in the down command, um, it's just amazing what they can learn at at a puppy stage. It's just so much fun. Isn't that true? And I, um, I th- think sometimes it's easy to forget that how much time is really needed to put into puppies, even when they're at a young age, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes there, but it really needs to be five or 10 minutes every single day, um, to really get the, the dog you're hoping for. Um, yes. Cause I Short have, and sweet. yes. And I've seen some friends of mine that are new dog owners, that are really good at saying no to a puppy, but <laughs> they don't teach. But on the flip side of that, they're not actually teaching the puppy what they want them to do. And that takes the extra five or 10 you minutes know, and, and all the time. So your YouTube channel is definitely a need. There's no doubt. That, and you know, this could be for just a dog that wasn't necessarily learning how to be a hunting dog too. It's just about good manners and how to behave. Um, and you had something. You had said something. I lost my train of thought. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a great basics for them. Oh, the no command. Um, that was one thing that I had a hard time um, getting at first because Tom said to me with a retriever, you know, you want them to pick up your game sure. when they're picking up stuff that they're not supposed to. Like for Gabby, it was the toilet paper roll. Oh, sure. And, 
you you don't want to say no constantly because then they think that everything they carry in their mouth is a no. Mm. So when they're coming by you or when you finally catch them, you want to hold them and say, oh, thank you so much for helping me pick up around the house. Hey, I was just yep. thinking about going to the bathroom. Thanks for bringing <laughs> me the toilet paper. So you want to be a positive because they're carrying something. It gets to a point where, you know, a couple of months down the line, when you when you when they're not coming to you anymore and you can't catch them, you have to kind of trap them and you have to take them by the scruff and say here and pull them toward you and say, oh, good job. And then grab them by the scruff here. Oh, good job. So you want your by you to be the safest place ever. So now Gabby knows that if she, and she does this quite often, she'll grab something she's not supposed to, a hat or a sock. And I'll say here, cause she knows if she doesn't come here, she's going to be in trouble. So the hardest thing for me is say loving her up when she comes here, even though I'm mad that she again destroyed the toilet paper roll. But the fact that she's coming in, I have to praise her a lot. Yeah. People sometimes get mad, you know, when they're chasing the dog all over the neighborhood and they finally get a hold of it and they and they discipline it. So why would the dog want to want to come in then? Because yep. they're going to get disciplined. So you have to catch them first and then give them the discipline of pulling them forward in an unpleasant way to begin with and saying here, but then praising them when they're sitting right there next to you. So, and squeaky toys, no squeaky toys for hunting dogs. That That's just teaches was, the hard moth. Yeah. Hard yes. Moth. I was going to ask about that. If, what about squeaky toys or balls or none, none of that? I had a hundred of them with my first dog. So that was one thing that I learned right off the bat that I had to get rid of all Samantha's squeaky toys. Yeah. I said, are you kidding me? She knows all of them. I can tell her what, what exactly. squeaky toy to go get. <laughs> like, aren't you impressed? Hundreds. Okay. <laughs> yes. But no, he wasn't. He was impressed that, he, you know, she could go get them by name. But yeah, you know, in fact, Samantha had a hard mouth because of that. And Tom asked me, do you want me to fix that hard mouth? And I said, no, because I want her to bring the pheasant back dead. I don't want it alive to begin with. Of course, this was before I could, you know, wring the neck or do all of sure. those things and tell them to go visit the pheasant gate where my other dogs are waiting for them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but no squeaky toys for sure. Isn't that interesting? I know I we used to get in trouble with that with our labs growing up and being young girls and wanting to play and tug of war and all the things. And um, we never understood it then, but of course now we do. <laughs> and and don't you feel like as a hunter, Laura, you, you kind of go through phases too. Um, like with my dog, I, I well... You mentioned it earlier, but I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn when I first started too. And that's because you and I got into it fast and furious. Here you go. You're in the field with all these yep. people and dogs and, and you know, hit away. So there were times when I, I said to my husband, you might as well take my dog and hunt with her because she's not going to get a bird because I can't hit the broad side of a barn. So that was one phase I had to get through. But a, another one was I was intense on getting my limit. Why? because I needed my dog to get retrieves. And Tom mm -hmm. said to me one time, 
aren't you just enjoying going out there, taking it all in and not getting your lemon and watching your dog? And I said, no, I need to get my lemon so my dog can get retreats. Like that was in the beginning stages, the first five years. And then after that, I gained the respect and, and I understood what he was talking about. And I thought, you know what? Look at her tail. It's wagging. Well, well, look at her follow me. First of all, when I put my long underwear on, she's sure. following me right away. And then when I get outside, I mean, she's just, she cannot wait to get outside. And then, you know, just getting in there, going through the grass, wagging her tail on a trail. And I'm like, they just love being out here, regardless if they get a bird or not. So I've changed, I've grown in that respect too, as well. And it's just made me appreciate the outdoors even more. It's so true. They, um, there was some science data that came out that even said, I think it's like five to 10 minutes of scent work. Even if you do mm -hmm. scent work inside your house is about an hour's worth of exercise for a dog, just because they're using their mind and their nose. And I agree. that's when they're happiest is when they're out just, you know, especially retrievers or, you know, dogs that working dog, et cetera, that they're using their nose to scent something um, that they're very happy. Um, of course the retrieve is always the fun part, but, um, yeah, I, I have definitely have learned to just enjoy the moment. And I, my favorite part is just seeing the dogs work. And I honestly at all times could care less if I really hit a pheasant or not. I mean, it, it feels good. And of course they're great to eat. Um, but I just enjoy being out there and watching the dogs work cause they're so happy. It's really fun. Oh, I agree. They, they when are, you first, I mean, they are. 100%. When you first uh, started, were was there even a, a women's shotgun available or were you using one of Tom's? How did that go down? Well, at first he had a youth model that was, the stock was cut down <clears throat> and um, that's what fit me to begin with. And I started, I mean, I used a couple of his guns in the very beginning. Um, and I remember when I was in my 10 day at that time in South Dakota, it was a 10 day duck hunt. You could only hunt 10 days in a row. In, in the middle of those 10 days, um, <clears throat> I had to drive back to Minnesota, but my gun had gone down in the blind and it stopped working. And I was in a panic because I had gotten used to this gun. And so I went home, I reached out to a friend of ours, Lee Chose, and I said, hey, do you have a gun I can use? And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, I'm, I, he was photographing the first ever Franke shotgun. He's like, try this. If you like it, you can buy it from me. So I tried it. Oh my gosh. I had so much success with it. And I'm like, that's it. This is my new gun, Franke. And I, and I love their tagline, Franke family. And of course the family includes, includes the dog. So that's totally me to a T because I hunt with my oh. family, which most of the time, it's just my dog. I don't know if you ever got to that point, Laura, where you just enjoy going out by yourself. Now, like, I don't even hunt with my husband. I want to go by myself because I don't have to worry about any other people, any other dogs. And I can just be me and and not feel any pressure to have to so hit true. something in front of us. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it, it's, it's it, and that's another phase I went through. Like, I don't want to hunt with anybody now. I just enjoy being by myself and my dog. Fabulous. But Frankie has been, oh my gosh, they they have guns 
that because in in general, our necks are made longer. So Franke came out with what they call the catalyst catalyst line. And it, it's it's made for women because the comb on the gun, which is at the end of the gun, is is taller to accommodate women's neck sizes. Now, that being said, it's not saying that you have to shoot, you know, a their catalyst line to to shoot well. I mean, it, it's all about the basics too as well. But I love the fact that they brought, they looked at the women demographics and were like, all right, let's make it easier for them so that they don't have to make that adjustment when they are shooting. So that's what I love, that they put the investment into the women's line. And I, I mean, I love, I've got five, five favorite guns of mine, uh, that I, that I alternate between and, and they're over under is now my new favorite one, but yeah, they, they just, they put a lot of time and a lot of effort into researching and talking with people and talking with women. And I just, I just love their line. So I've, I've ever since I've been shooting the Franke, I've just stayed with it. Awesome. I, it is a game changer and I can't be more thankful that these shotgun companies have um, decided to invest in the research and the design for women's shotguns. Cause I was also hunting with a youth model, which was way too short for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, uh, just purchased a men's shotgun and had a gunsmith work on it and it still was not fitting correctly. So I definitely went through my own struggles and once I was fitted, um, I shoot a siren, but when I was finally fitted with a women's shotgun, it is, it's almost a must. Like I always say it's, you know, equating it to golf. You, when you try to golf with men's golf clubs or, or youth golf clubs, it's yes, not going to go yes. very well. And it really is the same, the same for when you get into hunting. So, you know, if you have, uh, boyfriends, partners, husbands kind of saying here, just use mine. And they happen to be, you know, six foot four, um, that's not going to work. <laughs> And yeah. you're you're just going to get frustrated and you're probably going to get down on yourself like, I can't do this. And that was part of my problem with this youth gun. I was like, is it me or is it that I was just so irritated because I'd feel like I was right on the bird or whatever and I was missing it. And um, it really was from a really poor gun fit. So um, can't stress that enough. And I know um, I'm sure you go over all that because you're also an instructor for the um, Becoming an Outdoor Woman program with Minnesota DNR. So, um, and the and well, the other thing, Laura, that. on that, well, and on that note too, um, I have about ten guns that I and you know this. You can't go into a gun shop and you cannot try one of their guns. So when I go to so these true. women's workshops, I bring all my guns. And I want them to shoot all of them. Some of them I have cut down. Some of them are cut down for me. Um, but I'm amazed at how many women end up leaving that workshop and they buy that gun because I've had time to spend with it and and work with it. And it fits them because a lot of the women, I'm about five, six, and, and a lot of the women are about average size, same size as me. And it's amazing. Um, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, a quick way, a quick way that I use, um, a quick test that I use to see if, if somebody hands you your gun and say, hey, try this gun. A quick way to see if it, it's a close fit is if you 
if you like put your right arm, uh, I'll have you participate again with me. Sure. So feel like you're going to flex your right arm and put it off to the side. So flex your bicep. Okay. That's the best. It's huge. My bicep's it. huge. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to compare. I bet you do have bigger. I don't know. I'm up to 15 pounds now. I mean, no, I, you I work out a lot. You. you probably have me beat. <laughs> and so if you put the butt, the end of the gun, I'm just going to say end of the gun because everybody can understand that. Put it right in your where your elbow crease is. So your right hand is facing the sky, you know, because you're flexing your bicep. Put that gun right in your elbow crease and your index finger should hit approximately at the trigger. So that's a quick yeah. way to tell if the gun is a close fit. Now, that being said, I always suggest find a... Um, Let's find something you can work with that can help with that, you know, a gunsmith that can help with that fit too as well. But I, I say that, Laura, now, and it's so funny how every year I'm in the hunting field, I learn something new. And I went to a different over-under this year, the newer um, catalyst line with the Instinct receiver. It's just a lighter receiver. That's all it is. So it's easier to carry in the field. Nice. Frankie is light, by the way. You, you know, you picked it up at... Um, when you guys went on that pheasant hunt, you had an opportunity um, to hold Vicky's gun and you couldn't believe how light it was. But very light. So I I had a gun that was a little bit longer than what I was nor- used to shooting. But with an over under, the heavier, the less recoil. So it was heavier because it was longer. So I had to adjust my left index finger and I had to bring it closer to my chest versus further down the gun. And holy moly, that just changed the game. I was hitting everything at that point. Um, my shorter gun with an over under, it tends to have more recoil because it's so light. And I felt like it wasn't staying on my face tight enough. Sure. Um, so then I went to the longer gun. I'm like, wow. And then I find out that all these competitors, the competition shooters are also, they have longer guns, heavier guns. Um, because it just holds it in place more. I don't know if that makes sense, but it um, does. so you learn, like I learn every time I'm, I'm hunting and I'm shooting and I'm practicing and I'm like, I'm going to try this gun. I'm going to try this gun. So the more reps you do, the more you learn about yourself and what you really like. But, but going back to these women appreciate the fact that I can bring them guns that fit them and they can try them out and they know what they like and they know what they don't like. And so, um, and that was that um, learn how to pheasant hunt at Horse and Hump Club this year, um, put on by the Bird Busting Babes. And excitingly enough, they agreed to move it to our place in South Dakota next I August. I was just going to ask you about that. Yes, yes you have a yeah, really I'm cool s- event coming up. Well, I'm excited because Horse and Hunt Club, you don't exactly have the area to move about and look at habitat. So this year we're going to add more to it so we can walk pheasant fields. We can walk it with dogs so they can see how the dogs get birdie. We can set birds in traps and release them so they can see how the dogs get birdie. And they can walk without a gun or an unloaded gun um, to practice, uh, get, you know, when that bird gets up, practice mounting. And and um, so there's going to be so much more that we're going to add to the workshop, which I'm really really excited about. 
Awesome. And when is the date of your workshop for? That is uh, August 20. It's August 25th through the 27th. And you can find it on Pheasants Forever. Uh, Metro PF actually is taking um, the sign, the registrations. And the exciting thing is we have nine out of 14 people signed up already. So we'll expand it if it gets to a higher amount, but we started um, sponsor advertising it last October. We got, my my intent was to give South Dakota women more opportunities too. now that I'm here in South Dakota. Um, The funny thing about it, I think about a half a dozen Minnesota women have signed up, which is great. Um, But they'll probably, you know, alternate States and, Um, But then I was just also invited in in the last month to participate in Her Upland as an it's another organization. And I love their mission. Their mission is furthering education and increasing opportunities for women and girls in four areas, upland hunting, bird dog training, conservation and mentorship. So um, Courtney Bastion, who does the Bird Dog Babe podcast, she participates in this. And this year they're going to have 12 events that wow. focus on those four. Th- I know they had two of them last year and they were very successful. And she asked if I'd be willing to volunteer my time and help out with these particular camps too as well. And I'm like, yes, I mean, I love helping women get excited about this sport because it is fun. And the friendships that you gain, the like-minded people you're around, the cool people I meet like you and your sister, Simone, you know, and your family. I mean, it just brings everybody together because we have a common interest. And I, I'm excited about that opportunity as well. But that is very Lauren, would you agree that when you and I started, there were not these opportunities out there. No. Now you just turn around and they're there. Like it's Bo, been amazing. Oh, in the last 10 years, how much it has yeah. grown. And I love the addition of the bird dog training that's going yeah. into not only learning how to pheasant hunt and what that's about, but um, just like you, you know, you got started kind of the flip side. You had the dog first, but a lot of women want to end up buying a dog because they like hunting so much. And um, they do say that there is a definite um, elevation of bird hunting and upland hunting when you're hunting with your own dog and your dog's hunting for you, there is that special yes. bond that happens. And um, so to see the addition of the bird dog training is awesome. And of course, conservation too and habitat and learning all of that is also important. Um, but I love the addition of those um, factors going into the seminars. But yes, there's so many places today to really learn. And when I've participated myself in uh, some of these all women's events, everybody is so lovely. Like there is no judging, doesn't matter how much experience or not experience that you have. Um, Everybody's there to have a good time. Everybody's really supportive. People share um, gear. If you need an extra pair of mittens or a hat, Tina, you're awesome at that too. I remember going out with you years ago and I had some girlfriends of mine that hadn't hunted really at all. And they, I think, showed up with, um, I don't know, very thin jackets and things like that. But of course, you stepped up and had all the gear that they needed. And we all had a really good time. Um, but the camaraderie well, is incredible. Well, it is. And and you just participated in the legendary long tails, the Pheasants yes. Forever chapter, women's only chapter. So and, fun. And 34 women showed up 
to go on that hunt. At and you know what the park. temperature was? It was like yeah, it was freezing. negative 10 <laughs> and 20 mile an hour winds and everybody still showed up and everybody had a great time and we had pheasant for lunch. It was so much fun. And that's a great well, group of women. And you said it, it was in, inex- it was inexperienced girls all the way up to experienced and getting all those women together and getting each other excited and spending time with each other. I mean, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. You can say so, that again. Do. And, um, and if, uh, people want to come meet you in person and then we're going to, uh, tell everybody your social channels, you're going to be at Pheasant Fest coming up. So where can they find you to come chat with you about your YouTube channel or pheasant hunting, dog training tips, any of it? Well, I will, I'm actually going to be on the path to the Upland stage, um, Saturday and Sunday and Saturday, I believe is 1030 and Sunday, I think is around 130. So Path to the Upland Stage, plus I'll be hanging out at the Sport Dog and Perina booth. So if anybody wants to come look me up there and, and talk hunting and dogs, or um, I'll be at the Women on the Wing, uh, probably luncheon on Sunday. I believe it's on Sunday. Um, so we can catch up there. But it's just a great venue to learn and to meet other women, too, as well. So hopefully, hopefully everybody will um, attend Pheasant Fest. It's just a great learning environment. And that's uh, Friday, February 17th through February 19th. For um, So mark your calendars, everybody, I guess is why I'm saying that. Uh, and also, yes. where can they find you on social channels and your YouTube channel? Well, I'm on Facebook, just Tina Dawkin. Um, Instagram is Tina Dockin as well. I'm pretty boring. I just have the same name Perfect. so people can find me easily. Um, <laughs> the YouTube series, um, if you just search Tina, if you start typing Tina Dockin, the Unleashed will appear. See, I'm the Unleashed version. Tom's the Leashed version. So, um, so that's, that's why so I named funny. it that. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, thank you, Tina, for joining us today on the podcast. It's so fun to chat with you as always. And I really do hope that we can uh, get out together this fall again, just because it's so much fun. We'll get my sister out there. Yes. Um, and Laura, and get- thanks for inviting me and to everybody out there. Go start your own path. That is so much fun in the hunting world. And you can learn so much and be a part of so many uh, part groups of people that it's just it's unbelievable experience amen sister so true thank you again to tina Dawkins for joining the podcast today and also thanks to our sponsors star bank Connecticut, minnesota historical society and minnesota propane association last but not least don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors mm-hmm.